This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to Episode 82 of the Grace Enough Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Cullum. Today, I sit down with Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith to discuss the seven areas of rest and how to discover which area you may be experiencing the most depletion. You will hear Dr. Sandra share how the fatigue in her personal life led to her research and writing of sacred rest. She also dives into questions like, what is social rest? This one will surprise you because it is not the absence of social interaction. Another question, are you rushing by beauty? What happens when you lump sleep and rest into the same bucket? And what price does your body pay when one of your seven rest buckets is empty? Before we dive into this week's conversation, I want to mention our sponsor, the Beloved Women's Online Conference. The conference is a one-day event filled with speakers, workshops, and worship. Their aim is to help refresh, refuel, and empower women like me and you. The mission behind Beloved Women is to replenish the woman who does so much for her family and community so that she can continue to build a better future for herself and for those she serves. If you're ready for a day of rest for your soul, peace for your mind, and hope for your journey, Visit BelovedConference.org and register today for the conference taking place October 10th, 2020. That's BelovedConference.org. With that, here is my conversation with Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, Episode 82, Sacred Rest. Good morning, Dr. Sandra. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's just jump right in. Introduce yourself, your family, tell everybody a little bit about what you do. Yes, well, I'm an internal medicine physician. I've been in practice for 20 years. Um, I have two teen boys and have been married for 20 years as well. And just in the past, probably 10 years or so, started really getting deep into the research related to just wellness and how to live my best life and how to get to a place where I'm not so burned out. I burned out 10 years ago. And so I really kind of took a journey after that on what does it look like to live a life that doesn't feel exhausted Mm -hmm. and um, pressured all the time. It is interesting. It seems like I'm not at that place, but it seems like my husband is. And it so often happens at that crucial point where you're kind of still walking up, I don't want to say a ladder, but that is kind of what it is in your career. You're still trying to kind of like get to where, you know, you're going to be for the rest of your career. And then you have these little people who are still in your <laughs> life that you love dearly, but it's demanding. That's so true. And and I think that's, I love how you put that, the little people, because that's when it happened. Both yeah. my boys at the time were actually toddlers. So they were truly little people yep. <laughs> that were in my life. And, you know, I had prayed for these children. I didn't get pregnant easy. So it wasn't like, you know, I just got pregnant the second I thought about it. I mean, these were children I had begged God for, if we're going to be totally honest. And had gotten to the point where 
I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't enjoying motherhood. I wasn't enjoying my marriage, which was good. I mean, there wasn't any, we weren't fighting or having any kind of issues. It's just, I was, there was nothing left of me at the end of my workday. Yeah. And I actually remember telling my husband that one day coming home and he was, I mean, he wasn't trying to, you know, um, pressure me into anything, but it was just like, hey, how are you doing? And he was giving me a hug and I'm like, don't touch me. I don't have anything left for you today. Mm. And I remember those words coming out of my mouth. (laughs) And at the moment I said it, you know, you could almost feel his emotions recoil because it was like, whoa, you know, what, (laughs) what just happened? I was trying to give a hug and be affectionate. And I think that's when it really started to dawn on me. I, I, I don't even have enough energy to enjoy anything. Wow. I can so relate to that because at various seasons, I mean, honestly, similar words have come out of my mouth in the last week. And it's not even like I'm working full time, but I am home full time with three young children. And it doesn't matter really where you're at in your life, your responsibilities and what we're going to talk about today, various um, areas of rest make a difference. Yes, so true. Yes. And so as we jump in, I published a podcast episode back a couple of months ago about Sabbath with your family. And my husband and I have been intentionally practicing that since January of 2020, which feels like the year that (laughs) (laughs) that might not ever end as we all feel that way. But I'm often asked, what is Sabbath? What do you even mean by that? What, how do you intentionally rest? And so I read your book, Sacred Rest, and I'm going to just read one quote from it, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. It says, time chimes in loudly over the roar of our anxious minds, initiating a battle between warring fears and courageous rest. Aborting rest empties me of everything holy. It strips me of the ability to treasure life and peels away the value of being. So you've shared a little bit about those words, I feel like already, but they're so powerful. And so dive a little bit deeper into the journey of what led you to this intentional rest and kind of what you came up with. It's interesting that you picked that that actual portion of scripture because I'm, I'm pro-life. And so I actually, I'm on the board of a nonprofit, speak for for that nonprofit for as a pro-life um, advocate. And when I was going through this process, that that's the concept that hit me, is that I would never want to be in a position where I had to make a decision about having life stripped from me or holding on to it. But that's what I was doing with my own life. Mm. You know, so in my head, it's like, I I wasn't even valuing myself with the same value that I held all other life. And, you know, we talk about self-care, you know, it's kind of become this foo-foo thing, (laughs) you know, that we talk about, oh, I'm going to get self-care. And and what many of us sometimes mean by that is, oh, I'm going to go get a pedicure or a manicure or a massage or a facial. (laughs) And nothing's wrong with any of those things. I mean, they're fun. I get them too. But really at the core of it, to me, when I think about Sabbath, it's a it's not just self-care and it's not just soul care. It's care. How do I care yes. about my body? And in doing so, trust God with the things that I release as I'm caring for myself. Mm-hmm. And so it's a breaking away from the normal work because 
what I love when I kind of look at Sabbath, you know, yes, they, they cease their normal activities, but really what they end up doing are restorative activities. Mm. And that's what the core of rest is. Rest equals restoration. You know, a lot of us have called rest just, oh, I'm going to stop or, oh, I'm going to go on vacation and, or, or I'm going to go to sleep. And we call that rest. That's right. And, you know, really it's more than that is what do you do to pour back into the places you pour out? Mm. And when you mention kind of a family Sabbath, that, that is so, so in line with what a true Sabbath looks like, because that is one of the relationships relationships that gets depleted in our day to day. And so uh, the Sabbath portion of that is keeping it sacred, Mm. pouring back into those relationships, pouring back into your physical well-being, pouring back into your spiritual well-being. And so I I think that's the, the part that many people really don't understand. When they think of Sabbath, they think, I just have to stop work. Yes. You have to And it feels rule oriented. Yeah. (laughs) If you're stopping your day to day work, but then you need to get before God and say, what is it that needs to be poured back into me? Mm-hmm. Where's the place that I got depleted on this journey yes. that you need to come back in and restore? Well, and I love that you say restorative because one of the questions we have to ask ourselves constantly in our home when we're thinking about Sabbath is what allows me to truly rest? Mm-hmm. And that's an important question, right? Because like you said, we think sometimes rest is vegging out in front of the TV. And a lot of times that doesn't restore us at all. It just allows us to be mindless. Yes, it's an escape for many people. A lot of people have associated rest with escapism. And that's where that whole, oh, if I take a vacation, I can escape my normal life and I'll just run away from my computer and my responsibilities for a week or whatever it is. And then I'm rested. But I mean, all of us have gone on vacations and come back just as as tired, if not more tired than when you left on the vacation, because you weren't intentional about pouring back into the places of your depletion. Mm. And I think really, to me, that's at the core of it. That, That was the kind of core mentality that came as I was researching and going through the scriptures and going through the science of what does it mean to rest? Yeah, well, and it I'm jumping ahead a little bit because I love what you say in your book, you have seven types of rest. And that thought process was so good for me because for me, a lot of times I have now realized I need, you know, the sensory rest that you talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I need the social rest that you talk about. But social rest isn't necessarily what every single listener right now The first thing that pops in their head is like, go be alone, get out of social situations. But that's not necessarily what you talk about. And so share that with us, these seven types of rest and kind of how we figure out which one we're depleted in. Yes. Well, the seven types, the three that most people are familiar with are the physical, mental and spiritual And then the four that kind of came flushed out of the research and and the scriptures were emotional, social, sensory, and creative. Mm -hmm. And I I love what you describe regarding the social rest part of it, because it is not what you initially would think. The breaking away from people, being in silence, that's actually more sensory uh, rest because you're kind of by yourself in the quiet. But really social rest is the rest we receive when we are around life-giving people, when we allow people to pour back into us, because the majority of us spend our day and our time with people who need things from us, our family, our coworkers, (laughs) our 
patients, if you're like me, there's always people that need stuff from you. And your natural tendency is to gravitate toward those people who need you because they're putting a demand on your time and your your energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, the research has shown that adults have fewer adult friends than ever because our lives are so busy that those life-giving relationships, those people who just want to pour back into you, kind of get pushed to the side. That's and right. They never become a priority. And that's the, that's what we need. There's, I think, if anything, 2020 has shown us how much we need other people. You better believe it. And the it. stress and pressure that comes when we don't have it. I, You know, a lot of people have kind of been like, you know, social rest, that's kind of a weird concept. Well, I think 2020 proved the point for me pretty, yeah. pretty efficiently that we need other people. And when we don't have it, there is an unrest within mm-hmm. us. Well, and it's interesting to hear you say that because I just, I mean, looked at my husband the other night and was describing to him your explanation of social rest. And I said, you know, I've known for a long time that the feeling is when I leave, let's say I've gone out to dinner with two of my dearest friends, we've had a drink, Mm -hmm. we've enjoyed chips and salsa, but I leave there and I am filled up and almost exuberant versus some situations you leave, like you said, maybe it's work where (laughs) I'm not practicing physical therapy right now, but I did. And there were plenty of times leaving work where you're just you're totally depleted because all you've done is serve the needs of other people all day long. Mm -hmm. And so it's just such a cool thing. And then another really interesting one, I feel like is creative rest. Dive into that one a little bit. That's the one I think that most people, not only have they not heard of it, but even when they hear it, they automatically think, well, I wouldn't need that because, you know, I'm not a musician. I'm not an artist. I'm not a painter or something. Uh, You know, they're not thinking of themselves as a creative, Mm -hmm. but creative rest really is for anyone who has to be innovative, who has to think outside of the box, who has to come up with new ideas. And so I find that people who have a creative rest deficit could be a teacher who's having to think about, you know, I need to come up with a lesson plan that teaches both the auditory and the visual learner. Mm. How do I merge that together into a lesson plan that everybody benefits from? Or the small business owner who's trying to think about new ways of marketing and brainstorming new products. So there's many ways that people are having to be creative and that are draining their creative resources and not understanding that that deficit is what's making them feel tired. And then Mm -hmm. it also makes you feel like I don't have any more fresh ideas or new ideas. That's when authors get, you know, as they call it, writer's writer's block or musicians say, well, I can't think of any new music. All of that are signs of creative uh, rest deficit, but it also presents itself in everybody else just depending on where they're using their creativity. And so what creative rest is, it's the rest that we receive when we allow beauty to awaken that inside of us, to kind of open that back up, to inspire and to motivate us. And so some people feel it when they're around bodies of water. I have many people that say, when I go to the beach or to a lake, you know, I can't explain it, but I feel better. I feel renewed. And I didn't do anything but see it. You know? yes. they, they didn't necessarily have to go frolic in it or anything. It's just being in that setting. Some people get it just from being outside, taking a walk in the park or around their house. Others get it at art museums or listening to beautiful symphonies and music. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, when you get busy, oftentimes what happens is beauty gets etched out. Mm-hmm. 
you stop appreciating it because you rushed right past it. You don't have time to stop and let it actually create something inside of you. And I think that's an so important true. point to differentiate because I'll have people ask, well, I want to, I'll go to an art painting class or something like that, a pottery class as my creative rest. That's, that's creative work. You're actually putting a demand on your creativity in those settings. Mm. Creative rest is not you creating something. It's letting what's already been created, whether oh. it's nature or art, let it create something inside of you. Oh, I love that because I've often said the best things that I end up writing down, whether it's for other people or myself, usually come after a long walk or during a long walk or during a long run. And a lot of that, you're right. I mean, looking at, you know, the crepe myrtles right now that are in bloom around my neighborhood and how I even said to my husband, I don't remember him being like this every summer. And we were talking about, well, it's because normally we're going 190 miles an hour all summer. <laughs> so true. So true. It's amazing how much beauty we rush by. Not just natural beauty, but I mean, honestly, yeah. as parents, beauty within our kids and our family, mm. that there are beautiful moments also that we rush by because, well, I've got this to do and that to do. The dishes need to be done and the clothes need to be folded. And we oh. rush by a lot of beauty in our lives. And, and honestly, that's what makes life worth living. Is wow. those t moments we take to really absorb that. Yeah, slowing down and paying attention. Well, tell us, what is the difference between rest and sleep? Well, sleep really is just one of the types of rest. So when we talk about physical rest, physical rest has two components. You have the passive physical rest, which are sleeping and napping, and then active physical rest, which are things like leisure walks, stretching, anything really to improve your circulation and get your lymphatics flowing. And so when you just kind of lump sleep and rest into the same bucket, you've basically taken out the other types of rest. Mm. So you're focusing on the one physical and you've taken out these six other types of rest that are needed. And that's why so many people, when they go to bed at night, if they wake up the next morning and they're still tired and they don't have any underlying medical conditions, you know, that are causing right. that then there's some there's another type of rest deficit that's in play. That's why they're tired. Really, to me, that's the whole purpose that I started doing the rest quiz for my patients, because most of them, they would come to me with this list of issues that they were having with the number one being I'm tired all the time. And there's got to be something wrong with my thyroid or my adrenals. And so as a physician, I check all of these studies because that's what medicine tells you to do. And everything's normal. You know, there's nothing that's abnormal. But you can tell this person is truly tired. I mean, they look physically tired. But that's the thing. You can look physically tired, but have a rest deficit in a different area. Mm. Because tired just looks the same kind of on all of us. Whether you are emotionally tired, spiritually tired, you will just look drained. But we don't know what portion of you got drained. And that's the key to it. And so, at, you know, with the rest quiz, when I send people to restquiz.com, what I'm trying to help them identify is what is the portion of you that is that is depleted? That's right. Because I can get you to sleep eight hours and you will still be depleted because I haven't poured into the bucket where the depletion is at. Mm. I love that. Well, and tell us about restquiz.com. When someone goes there, what can they expect? 
Well, there's a list. It takes about, let me just say this up front, it takes about five minutes. And that's if you just go through and answer the questions. If you hyperanalyze them, you're going to be there a long time. But I recommend basically uh, uh, taking it as a personal assessment. Don't try to overanalyze the questions. The questions are using all kinds of psychology to get to the root problem without you knowing why I'm asking certain questions to identify different parts of it. So just go through answer the questions when you um, at the bottom you fill out your information to get the results when you hit the button then go check your email usually within two minutes or so you will get an email that says what your results are and the results will give you a score in all of the seven types of rest and mm -hmm. so the higher the score the greater the deficit and that way you're able to see where is your greatest rest deficit? And so instead of feeling like, oh my goodness, you just gave me seven more things to do, you only have to focus on the one that you have the greatest deficit in. Because really, when you fix that one, you automatically start feeling better. Yeah. And it's easier then to start incorporating some of the other ones because you're not so tired. You know, the, the thing is, you can become so tired that you feel like you don't even have the energy to get yourself out of that situation. Absolutely. So it's depleting to think, oh, I've got seven things. Focus on the one. Focus on the one with the greatest deficit. And then as your energy, your motivation, all of that starts improving then you can add on some other ones that still have deficits. Yeah, well, and once we identify like these certain areas, just the awareness mm -hmm changes our mindset. At the beginning of pandemic, I just knew I got to go outside and put my feet on the earth every day. Yeah. Now that can sound so crunchy to some people, but that was something <laughs> I knew about me from having dealt with some deficits years before and realizing that some of the ways I get the most restorative rest is by just making myself get outside and literally touch the earth in some way, you know? Yes. And once that awareness is there, and you start really feeling depleted further on down the line, you kind of can come back to okay, is this happening to me again? And that is so vital. That is, and I think that's the key. You know, this isn't like a one and done. Mm -mm. It'd be great if it was, but that's just not the reality of living. If you're living, you're you're going to be pouring out. That's right. And changing. Um, and so yeah, you're constantly giving and pouring out. And so you've got to constantly be receiving and restoring or else you end up in a deficit. And so I think it's important to be aware that really the, the goal is to get to a place in your life where you are, th you're, you're mindful of, am I, is there a place that's being depleted mm. and what do I need to do to restore it? Yeah. And I really, to me, I think that's the benefit of a weekly Sabbath yeah. You know, a, a lot of people have difficulty with that. And I understand, I mean, as a physician, the hospitals don't close on Sunday. That's right. I have to work seven days a week sometimes. And so I get it. You know, we can't all take a full day that we completely take off. And so that's why for myself, I, I really had to start looking at how do I live a Sabbath lifestyle mm. so that I am constantly aware of my need to be refilled. So when that happens, when you start feeling tired, when you start noticing you're anxious because you're sensory overloaded or you're, you're, gr you're, you're grouchy because yeah. you, your mind is too full or you are withdrawing from people because emotionally you feel too vulnerable in certain situations. When you start noticing that, rather than push it aside, which is what most of us do, we just kind of try to ignore it and keep going. Yeah. That's just going to perpetuate the problem. You can take a moment to say, okay, I realize that this 
means I need some emotional rest. Mm. I need to make a point of getting around my core people who I can actually be very honest, open and vulnerable with without the fear of them shaming me or disowning me or, you know, any of those other things and let them know where I'm at. Because in being able to kind of fully share the truth of what I'm dealing with right now, it helps me not feel so alone. It helps me not feel so alienated in this process so that I stay in a place of being emotionally healthy. Yeah, such a good word. And that does bring up how and how vital boundaries are. And you talk about that in the book as well. And so share a little bit of how putting in place boundaries really help us rest. Oh, it's vital. Um, <laughs> you know, in the book, I separate it out into kind of the first half, we go over the the kind of the bulk of the seven types of rest, what they are, how to use them, all of that. And the second half is where I go over the things like boundaries and reflection, communication, freedom. I call them the gifts of rest. They're the things that come out of rest. Because a lot of us have very poor personal boundaries. We have weak boundaries. Some have no boundaries. That's kind of where I started at. Um, Particularly if you happen to be a people pleaser, like I grew up, I always wanted people to like me. I never wanted to have confrontation. Um, And boundaries by nature are confrontational. I mean, they have to be a boundary. It has to be confrontational. And so when you start deciding that you're going to allow yourself rest in different areas, it re- it requires you to to start thinking about what are my priorities? Mm. Is my yes a real is my yes being given out of fear or shame or um, some type of way of manipulating this relationship so that they keep we keep at a certain place? Or mm. is my yes given because I really want to say yes? Because I think a lot of times we give a we give a reluctant yes in places where we should give a truthful no and trust that the relationship can handle our no's. And that's what boundaries looks like is reclaiming your space, your your ability to stay in a healthy place without pouring out beyond what you have to give. Oh, yeah, it's so true. I mean, and the guilt and shame that we so often we say yes, because we feel guilty. Well, nobody else is going to say yes. So I got to say yes. Or I won't be the top. I won't be the top class mom if I say no. (laughs) And that's, that's a huge one for moms, because then it's like, what will the other mothers think if they're the only ones cooking for the bake sale, and I decide not to, or Mm -hmm. in my case, my my kids are at a school where they have the parents kind of volunteer Mm -hmm. to pass out lunches and stuff. And so so I I can remember one time sitting here think uh, actually have another mom say to me oh well all the other moms have taken up all the other spots and there's just one left and we noticed that you hadn't signed up yet and there is this I mean guilt shame you call it everything that's kind of hit me in that uh-huh. moment it's like well I don't want my son to you know to be the only one whose mom yep. doesn't show up and uh, right before the words okay came out of my mouth. It was as if all of a sudden my boundaries like solidified. It's like it's almost like this is the this is the line in the sand. That's right. Where you are facing the fear of what you've always thought would happen if you did this. Now what do you do? Yeah. And I I mean, I mean literally I was shaking at the moment because it was like, oh, this is my worst fear happening. I know. And I had to honestly tell her, you know, I, I can't I can't do that. That's right. I can't do that for my own sanity. And my schedule does not allow that if I'm going to keep myself in a good spot. Well, and, and that takes a lot of practice. Face, it does. 
But I remember the look on her face. It was almost as if she was like, wow, I've never seen that before. It's the truth. It was a mixture of shock and like admiration. All That's right. Thing. That's right. It's so true. Well, and it does. I think the more you practice it, the easier it becomes because I remember a chronic over yeser here. Um, but I remember finally being like, I, I just can't do all of these things. I'm angry at home. Um, I definitely, I feel like I don't have as much margin. Maybe I should say I require more margin than a lot of people I know. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. And so even just a couple of weeks ago, it was asking to be room mom. And I I just immediately said no. And one of my friends was like, oh, just do it. It won't be that big of a deal. And I said, no, I'm not going to just do it because I know I can't do it well and then still homeschool all these kids this year and all the things. And so I'm not doing it. And that was that. But that would that was not easy four years ago. Right. It does take practice. And I think it takes imperfect practice. That's you know right. what I mean? <laughs> because there are going to be times where what all you know all of that's going to be like confronting everything you fear and everything yep. that you don't want to do and you may find yourself slipping out an okay before you can catch yes. it yes and what i always tell you know when that happens to me or a friend comes to me and say why did i say yes to that i really don't want to do it uh what i always say is you know if be a woman of your word if you said yes in the moment be a woman of your word yeah. but let that be a lesson to you yes Feel what it feels like to give an inappropriate yes. Yeah. Because then when that happens again, you're, you, you have to, you kind of have these two emotions that are warring all the time when you're dealing with rest. If you can remember what it felt like to be walking in a place of an inappropriate yes, then you can more easily give that no, because you're like, well, that didn't feel good either. So <laughs> let me practice how <laughs> to actually right. keep myself in a place where I'm walking in the purposes of God and doing what I'm called to do, not what other people have asked me to do. That's right. Oh, it's so true. Well, tell us when it comes, because you are a physician and you've done this research, you know so much about the impact that these rest deficits has on our physical bodies and on our brain function. And so what are some of the big impacts that these area, these deficit areas have on us? Well, one of the ones that really comes to mind is sensory rest um, deficit. Many people are chronically sensory overloaded, particularly with our electronics, mm-hmm. I, your uh, smartphones and notifications on our phones and all of those things that go with that. Um, one of the things that can come out of that includes things like anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, some people have chronic elevations in their heart rate, which can lead to high blood pressure and some other issues related to that cortisol release that's constantly coming out because of those excessive sensory inputs. And then we have with the physical aspect of it, you know, the amount of people, particularly now with so many people working from home, using office spaces that weren't really designed for you to be Mm -hmm. sitting for eight hours a day, you know, your kitchen table trying to work was not really the, an ideal ergonomically friendly office space. And so people are noticing more neck pains and back pains, which has to do with a physical rest deficit. Those muscles are getting inappropriately tightened and, and painful because of the lack of appropriate movement or just poor ergonomics of your um, workplace setup. 
And then you add on top of that, like the emotional rest deficit. The issue with an emotional rest deficit is when you get to a point where you feel like you have to hide your true emotions and that there's no one that you feel open enough to share that with, mm-hmm. whether it be a trusted friend, a parent, a counselor, if you feel like no one really knows the real you, that becomes a very desperate place because it almost makes you feel as if the real you, there's something wrong with the real you, that the real you has something chronically flawed. And that's when we see people start thinking about, well, what would life be like if I wasn't here? Because, Mm -hmm. well, nobody really knows me anyway. So if they don't know me, how can they love me? Because they don't really know the fullness of who I am. So there's a lot of ways that that kind of presents itself within people, both physically, mentally, and emotionally. Wow. Gosh, that's just a good word. I mean, it really, really is so much to think about. Well, as we begin to start closing out, let's just take one of these areas. Let's do sensory, since you were talking about that earlier on. And particularly, like you said, in this time, with all of the digital just sensory overload everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, in your book, you kind of do give a few things that you can do to help with that. That's kind of a, you know, go read the book, because I think you should, it is very <laughs> helpful. But what do you say to people who, okay, you have a sensory deficit? What is a good thing for them to do? Yeah, well, sensory rest is one of the ones that I think is probably the worst right now, as I stated, because of how everything has kind of come into play. Uh, actually, with the rest quiz, that was the one that is that has increased. It's been on oh, the wow. rise compared to, in the past, it's always been mental and emotional. Now, mm-hmm. sensory is the top rest deficit. And really, the some of the simple things you can do, I mentioned it before regarding the notifications. So many of us have all of our gadgets set for notifications. You get notified for your social media. You get notified for your emails. On top of that, if it's your cell phone, you get notified of your text messages, phone calls. That you're, that's true. Even your uh, smartwatches kind of show up as having, um, you know, if there's something. And the the science behind that is is the body responds to that the same way a physician's body responds when my pager goes off. Yeah. When my pager goes off, there's immediate. Let me take a look at this. What's going on? Alert. You know, yes. Is it is it good? Is it bad? What's happening? And so your heart rate goes up, you're, you have a cortisol release. Think about if that happens every time someone um, has a latte and shares about it on Instagram. <laughs> you know, is it is that healthy? For I'm overwhelmed just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and that's what's happening for many of us consistently. We have hourly, if not even more frequently, if we add in our news feeds, letting us know if there is an alert on the news, which, you know, right now in this season is almost every day. Mm-hmm. All of that is causing us to stay in this toxic situation with our senses. And I think it's important to just begin with what do I really need to know immediately? Mm-hmm. You know, really, the only emergent messages you need are probably your text and your phone. You know, if your kids are at a friend's house, you need someone to be able to get in touch with you. Your text yeah. and your phone are probably the only notifications you really have to know immediately. That's right. Otherwise, you can time block emails. What is a time a day, maybe two, maybe three times a day, you're going to check in with your emails and answer them. And then you're going to check them again till whatever your next time block is that you're going to go back in to do that. How frequently do you need to know the news? 
uh, a study came out between March, the middle of March and middle of April about the effects of excessive news consumption that all of us were doing, if we're going to be honest, during that block of time in 2020, because so much was going on and so much was changing like moment by <sighs> moment. Crazy that it showed that about 50% of the, actually 79% of the population stated that their sleep had been disturbed during that time frame. 79%, uh, that's ridiculous if you think yeah. about that number. And then 50% wow. of people said that their anxiety level was the highest it's ever been. Now, that's understandable, but a part of that is in, in part due to that excessive consumption of news. Mm -hmm. There's a capacity we have for information and information overload overloads, not just the senses with you watching it and seeing all of these graphic images, you know, mass mm -hmm. grave sites and all this other stuff that was going on. But on top of that, then it hits us socially and emotionally because we didn't have our normal support systems in place. They've been stripped from us. And so, you know, it's one of those things where we really have to think about the how, not just the sensory input, the lights, the sounds, the smells, but then how is that affecting the other aspects of us, our emotions, our mental uh, rest, yeah. because oftentimes it actually hits more than one place. Wow. Yeah, it, you know, you're saying that and I'm just thinking of the boundaries that you have to self, you have to put in boundaries for yourself with technology. And mm -hmm. those sometimes can be even harder to put in place than with other people because we have these little gadgets that just live with us all the time. And nobody's holding us accountable to it. Yeah, and really, you know, electronics were supposed to make our lives easier. They're supposed to be able to give us resources to be able to use our time more efficiently. And now the tables have kind of turned where they've also almost become taskmasters. They're dictating our response instead of we using them to for our benefit is kind of flipped around on us. And we you do, you have to kind of take back control of how you're using your electronics and yeah. let them work for you and not against you. Yeah. Well, Dr. Sandra, thank you so much. Where can everybody find you? I know we've said, you know, restquiz.com. People can go and take the test. Where else? My main website is ichoosemybestlife.com. And from there, they can see the resources related to sacred rest, as well as there's access to the quiz from there as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate your time and expertise. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I hope you found my conversation with Dr. Sandra helpful. I know her book and our conversation has helped me to identify areas of rest depletion more quickly. Maybe you know someone who could benefit from today's episode. If so, I want to encourage you to press pause and go ahead and share it with your friend. You can do that from any listening app. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. As always, thank you for listening, and I'll meet you back here next Tuesday with Crystal Evans Hurst to discuss our daily conversations with Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity 
of God's people.